Well, grab your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. We'll be starting around verse 9. Our title this morning is Jesus is the Anchor for Our Soul. Last Sunday, the writer to the Hebrew Christians, oh boy, was he ever deeply concerned. And he had some of the sternest warnings out of his love for them that we find in Scripture. Because basically he was saying, don't allow the Judaizers to rob you of everything that you have in Jesus. Don't allow them to pull you away from his love and the blessings that he wants to pour into your lives in the days ahead. Why was he so deeply concerned that they were telling them, well, this is more, or at least as important, maybe more important than Jesus. Well, bottom line, if you don't stay connected to Jesus, abiding in Jesus, you're in trouble. Jesus' own words, John 15, 4 and 5. He says, abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, why, bears much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. So, as we look at Hebrews 6, verse 9, the writer kind of completely switches and goes in a different direction now. Look at what he says. And I really like this. I really appreciate how God the Holy Spirit is speaking through the writer to the Hebrews because he's also speaking to our hearts today. And boy, is it encouraging to me. And I pray to you. But, verse 9, But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we've spoken in this matter, though we've been so concerned, though we've wanted to make sure how incredibly important it is to abide in Jesus, make him number one, look to him with all your heart. Interesting, Paul made a similar statement concerning the Christians in Galatia who were being pulled away by Judaizers. He said to them in Galatians 5.10, I have confidence in you, in the, in the Lord that you will have no other mind, you, you'll take no other view, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. So what would give such great confidence about these Hebrew believers that the writer is speaking to? Well, Jesus' words came to mind as I thought about what he saw in their lives. Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, 
He's greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then he makes a statement, I and the Father are one. Are you in Jesus' hand? You're secure. And what we're going to look at today gives us some idea about how secure we are in him and how he truly is an anchor for our soul no matter what we're going through. The writer was so confident he'd seen evidence, he'd seen fruit in their lives, the things that accompany belonging to Jesus, following him, him coming into your heart, being uh, baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, a miraculous thing that happens when you give your heart to Jesus. The writer goes on to give them even more encouragement. Look at verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and the labor of love which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and you do minister that Jesus is alive in you and the love of Christ through you is touching others' hearts. And I've seen that in you. If you'd like to take notes, your first note is number one here. He is the good shepherd. That'd be Jesus is the good shepherd and he won't let go of his sheep. And then here the writer to the Hebrews says, and he won't forget about you. Isn't that great? Isn't that encouraging? So, sheep, start paying more attention to Jesus than you ever have before. Be careful to follow the good shepherd as he speaks to your heart in the days ahead, as he leads you. And then we move to verse 11. And their desire for these sheep, these Hebrew sheep that are following Jesus, their great shepherd, And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. You know, when I read that verse, I couldn't help but think of Coach. When he could, he was teaching a Sunday school class or he was sharing with the men's fellowship or Anybody he would meet, he just had a way of just sharing with them, even if they weren't even interested in Jesus. He had a way of just sharing with them, well, you know what Jesus has done for me. And he did it in such a way that they would walk away and go, huh, he loved them. And that love of Christ just flowed through him. And the more he walked with Jesus, the more his love shone through him to the end, all the way. What a great example he has been for us, for me. Well, another verse came to mind thinking of how we have come to know Christ and how we walk with him. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with him and be rooted and built up in him and established in the truth. 
as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And the idea is, so you trusted Jesus for eternal life. Now show the same diligence and trust him as you walk with him through this life. By faith. Continue that Jesus will continue. Well, Jesus gave you eternal life. And Jesus will continue to build a new life in you from inside out as you walk with him. It's the same thing. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and what he's done and what he wants to continue to do in your lives. So, question. What's the problem that these Hebrew Christians were dealing with that the writer got so sideways about. Well, we look at verse 12, and we're just going to look at the first part of verse 12. And it's kind of fascinating because it goes back to chapter 5, verse 11. And it's the same word that is used, the same Greek word that is used. And it shows the problem that was taking place with these believers They'd kind of gone into a spiritual hibernation, maybe because they were being pulled away from Jesus. They were, in, in chapter 5, verse 11, he called it dull of hearing. And the problem here, as you look at verse 12, that you do not become sluggish. The word translated sluggish is exactly the same word, the Greek word, where he said, you guys are dull of hearing. You can't, you're not taking it in. You're not diligent. You're not open to what the Lord has for you. It's the same word. Well, here's what I have found personally. I've found that if there's something I really don't want to hear, okay, I just kind of go, "Uh uh-huh, 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 but I ignore it. I go about my own business. I just put it off. For instance, the other day, sweetheart, could you please blow off the front porch today? And oh, could you take a look at the drawer in the refrigerator? It's broken. Sure. Will do. And I get busy and sidetracked and the day slips by and I have a tendency to be dull of hearing, to be sluggish, to get distracted. The front porch has still got leaves and dust all over it. The drawer in the refrigerator is still hard to use. The worst part is the day slips by and my dear wife is frustrated about something. Really? And I have a tendency to be dull of hearing and easily distracted and a one-track mind and so forth. Here's what I've learned, guys. I've learned to actually ask for a honeydew list. There it is. Blow off the front porch. Fix fix the left drawer in the fridge. So I'm, yeah, so I'm sitting there and I'm looking 
and I've been distracted all day, and Cheryl's frustrated, but I look at this, and I go, oh, man. So I just quietly go out, get the blower, blow off that porch. I look at the refrigerator. I find a way to make it work, and then I put the list back down on my desk. You know what she did? If you look at it, she checked it off. This dull, sluggish, distracted guy knows how to take care of that most of the time. Not all of the time. But that's the idea. So, what does the Lord do to help us, to keep us out of trouble? I, he speaks to our hearts. In 1 Kings 19, 11, and 12, Elijah has just done a miraculous work for the Lord on, on top of Mount Carmel. But now Jezebel is after him and he's running for his life. And he's thinking, oh, poor me. And the Lord's trying to speak to him. He says, I'm going to take care of you. And there was, he got up on another mountain. There was a great strong wind that tore into the mountain, broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. An earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. A fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a still, small voice. And that's when Elijah wrapped his cloak around him and he goes and meets the Lord. And the Lord speaks to his heart. Your notes number two. That's what our Lord does, our good shepherd. That's the way he speaks to us. The good shepherd is speaking to his sheep in his still small voice. But if you're like me, much of the time we have a tendency to be dull of hearing and sluggish and distracted. But that's why he's taken the time to jot down some reminders in his word. So get into his word every day. Spend time in a life group. Get in a Bible study. Make sure you make it to church where God's word is open and and that still small voice of the Lord who meets with us as we meet in his name. Literally as his word is shared, he's speaking to your hearts. He himself. Peter noticed this. Peter in 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15. He says, number one, verse 12, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know them, you're established in the present truth. You know the porch should be blown off. You know you should take care of the drawer in the refrigerator. You know that. But I'm going to remind you because I know you have the same problem that I have. I told the Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll never disown you. But three times I did. But the Lord met him and rescued him and loved him and brought him back. So here's Peter. And he goes in verse 13. I'm doing this to stir you up by reminding you. 
And then verse 15, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after I go to be with the Lord. How important it is to get into the word, to be diligent about getting into the reminders that the Lord has for us. And here comes the reminder, right where we're at. Hebrews 6, verse 12. So don't become sluggish. Don't become dull of hearing. Here's the reminder. Do something about it, is the idea. Imitate those. Show the same diligence as those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Who's he talking about? Well, specifically, he's talking here about Abraham. Look at verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Verse 14, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Now that is found in Genesis chapter 22. It's critical that you understand that that doesn't come until chapter 22 in Abraham's life. We'll get back to that. And so after he had patiently endured, this is Abraham, he obtained the promise. God promised, and finally, God did it in his life. And there's Abraham. I trusted the Lord. I was patient. My endurance was incredible. And now God's honoring me. I'm an example. Well, there's more to it than that. The Lord whispers in his word to us, I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or even think. Ephesians 3.20 But here's the deal, and we're going to get into Abraham's life, and you're going to see this in his life, but it's going to take time. It's like when our kiddos were young. They could be really impatient at times, like when they were really young. On one very rare occasion, I was up in the middle of the night with one of our kiddos. This was rare. And they were crying, and they needed the bottle warmed. And I'm going, calm down, little buddy. It's coming. I'm I'm working on it. I'm trying to get that milk warm for you. I don't want your tummy to get upset, or else we'll be up all night, you know. You know what? They continued to cry, even though I told them that. They just didn't understand. And the Lord whispers in our ears, in my ear. Lee, that's you. I'm cooking up something. I'm getting it ready for you, but you're still crying. You're going, where is it, Lord? You you know, I've asked you, I've asked you, I've asked, where is it? Because you don't really understand the language of faith. What's that? Throughout Scripture, there's inevitably a gap between the giving of the promise 
whether it's in God's word and by his spirit, he shows that to you or he speaks directly to your heart or like he did with Abraham, he gave a promise with an oath and the actual performance of the promise. Yeah, Abraham patiently endured. In chapter 22, it was 25 years later that the promise was given. 25 years. In your case, in my case, it may be that long. May not have, it may not be. There's, but there's going to be a period of waiting. Why is that? Because in the gap in between God's promise where he speaks to your heart and when he does it, it's that time of building faith in your life that you will experience. In the gap, he's busy changing our lives from the inside out. Let's look at the Lord's promise to Abraham. A little bit more about it. Verse 16. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end to all dispute. And the idea there is if you got a signed contract, you can take it to the bank. That's the idea. Well, with man, sometimes that's not the case, but with God. And that's what the writer says next. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, that's us, the immutability of his counsel, how it can't change. He confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hope of the to lay hold of the hope set before us and we will see that that's Jesus so god's promise to abraham god's promise to you and his word especially god's promise that in christ you have been given eternal life that in christ as you abide in him you will bear much fruit. Those promises are bound to take, hap- to, to take place. God is bound to be working within your life. If you trust him, God does not lie. Well, let's look at Abraham's life. We're going to take a little bit of time to look at his life. These Jewish readers probably would have known these details. But I think it's good for us to look into the Old Testament to see exactly how God worked in Abraham's life to bring him to that point that he becomes the example of patience and endurance. Well, first of all, we see in the New Testament about Abraham, father of faith that saves. That's Paul. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that was from Genesis chapter 15. That's 
years before chapter 22. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Okay. Now, next, Abraham, in the New Testament, is seen as the father of faith that works. James. James 2.22. Do you see that faith was working together with his works, that by works faith was made perfect? And what James is referring to is when we end up in chapter 22. But he's putting chapter 15 and 22 together. And he's saying, Abraham really belonged to God. Look what God did. He had real faith. And God accomplished an incredible work in his life. It's a faith that works. And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. And here in Hebrews, he's the father of faith that endures. Hebrews 6, 13 and 15. For when God made a promise to Abraham, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. The gap, 25 years. But there's more to Abraham's journey that that you may not be aware of. And this is part of his journey. And I know it's also part of my journey as I walk with the Lord. But it's very encouraging to me. And I hope it is to you. Did you know that Abraham is not the father of a perfect faith? God's promise to Abraham, and now we're going to look in the Old Testament, early in Abe's life, long before chapter 22, quoted in verse 14 in Hebrews, long before that, we see in chapter 15, Genesis 15, 5 and 6, and this is the faith that saved Abraham. This is when he met the Lord. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And Genesis 15, verse 6, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. This is the faith that saves. But here's old Abe and Sarah. Time is passing. 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, maybe even more. They begin to struggle in their faith. Abraham's now 86. Sarah's, don't tell her I told you, 76. And they think, man, God promised, but this isn't working. And I'm not getting any younger. What can we do to help God keep his promise to us? Well, now we move to Genesis 16. And we see 
a faltering faith in both Abraham and Sarah. So Sarah said to Abraham, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. What, you know, I know the Lord said, but it's just not happening. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Perhaps we can figure out a way to help God. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. We're not going to get into all of that. From their faltering faith is born Ishmael. Whoa. More time passes. Now we move to Genesis 17. Here's where we see, and this is probably 10, 11, 12, maybe even more years has gone by. But God has not given up on Abraham. And God is now growing in Abraham the work that he wants to accomplish. How does he do that? Well, Ishmael is maybe 12, 13 by this time. Or he might be younger. I don't know exactly the time frame, but Ishmael's there. And God said to Abraham in chapter 17, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not keep calling her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations, kings and peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and he laughed. And he said in his heart, he didn't dare say this out loud, shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old now? And shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? I mean, he's he's like, this is so incredible. This is impossible. Don't you understand that, Lord? And it's, it's humorous. This can't happen. It's not possible. This is crazy, he's thinking. So he says in verse 18 to God, hey, how about Ishmael? We kind of got that figured out for you. Won't that work? Ishmael? Then God said, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So now we jump to chapter 21. Abraham's faith faltering, but the Lord says, I'm going to really grow your faith. I'm going to do for you what you can't even think as possible. And the Lord visited Sarah. And as he had said, the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who had been born to him 
and whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac, which means laughter. Unbelievable. God did the impossible. He actually pulled it off. I don't know how he did it, but, well, he kind of knew a little bit about how he did it, but I don't know exactly how it could happen, but he did. It's a miracle. So it was from God's continued faithfulness, even through Abraham and Sarah's faltering faith, but now growing faith because of what they saw God do through them and for them. But now more time passes. Really? Yeah. Abraham's faith was growing stronger and stronger. He goes, whoa, look at what God did. Incredible. And they're just amazed that God, what he promised, he accomplished, even though in the meantime, boy, we had to struggle. But God was there, and he grew our faith. <clears throat> and now we, I just believe him with all my heart. Whatever it might be, I know God can come through. It's growing stronger and stronger. And the years goes by. One final test comes his direction. Oh, wow. Now we're in chapter 22. Now we're where the writer to the Hebrews had quoted some words about Abraham's steadfast, enduring faith. But do you see how it didn't happen like that? How God had to work in his life, just like he has to work in our lives to bring us to that point. But you can trust God. He will never forget you. And he will work in your life from the inside out and accomplish building your faith like he did for Abraham. Finally, a faith that works, a faith that endures 25 plus years after the first promise. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, now take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. This was the only son according to the promise. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This is the ultimate test. And Abraham said to the young men, they get to the mountain. And he says, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder up and we will worship. But here's what I love. Abraham knew God would keep his promise that through Isaac, the whole world is going to get blessed, who is the forerunner picture of God sending his own son, Jesus. And through the promised seed will arrive Jesus. And he says to them, we, myself and my son Isaac, will come back to you. We're going to do what the Lord asks. 
but then we're going to come back to you. If you want to read more about that, you can look later in the faith chapter in Hebrews, see what Abraham was thinking. We don't really have time to look at that today, but it's incredible how his faith was so strong. Absolute faith in the Lord. Abraham's faith that endures, works. And then Abraham says, after the Lord moved on the mountaintop, provided a lamb for the offering, not Isaac. This is what Abraham says. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. And that's what it's called to this day. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Many Bible scholars, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I believe with all my heart that this mount was the very mountain on which Jesus was the provision for our sins, Mount Calvary. I love what David Guzik says at this point. He says, we're grateful to remember Abraham's life and to see that he did not have a perfect faith or a perfect patience. And if Abraham had some of the weaknesses, then we can have some of his faith and patience. Isn't that, isn't that great? What a great example the Lord is giving us here. And that's exactly what the writer to the Hebrews tells us we can have because of Jesus. Look at verses 19 and 20. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure, steadfast, which enters the present behind the veil and the very the picture of the Holy of Holies, the temple where God himself met among above the mercy seat. But this is in the Holy of Holies in heaven itself where Jesus is behind the veil, where the forerunner, verse 20, has entered for us, and I love this phrase, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Who? Well, we'll learn about that next Sunday. I love this. Worship team, team of two, come on up. I love this, even Jesus, even Jesus, even Jesus. Do you need an anchor for your soul? It's Jesus. And his still small voice whispers to our hearts through his word by the Holy Spirit. And he whispers to us and he whispers in his word. He says, come to me through the veil. Follow me in. I'll love you. I'll care for you as I did for Abraham and Sarah. And when you come to me, I'll build your faith and it'll grow stronger and stronger. I will be an anchor for your soul no matter what you're going through. So Hebrews 4.16, let us come boldly. Let us come being fully assured that the Lord is there to love you, to show mercy, to show grace, to find help in your time of need. 
And we'll wrap it up with your last note, number four. The Lord whispers in his word, I'm going to do exceeding abundantly above all you could ask or even think. That's his promise. But it's going to take time. That's the work that only he can do in your hearts. I ask that we could sing this song again as we just focus on even Jesus. Would you stand with me and let's worship him.